Welcome to GeoThoughts Talks. I'm Drew Bush. In GeoThoughts Talks, we bring you lectures from our team, partners, and collaborators on topics important to the GeoThink audience. GeoThink Summer Institute may have just concluded, but for those of you who missed it, we bring you four talks to remember. Teresa Scazza starts our fifth talk by discussing how those working in the discipline of law don't usually participate in the evaluation of open data. While they may not participate, however, legal statutes often are responsible for mandating such valuation, she argues. In particular, legal statutes often require specific types of data to be open. Furthermore, provisions in Canadian law, such as the open courts principle, mean that many aspects of Canada's legal system can be open by default. So I'm, I, uh, when I was first asked to, to do this um, presentation um, or to talk here on the value of open data, I thought my, my initial reaction was, um, but I'm kind of in law <laughs> and we don't, you know, that's not what we do. I mean, how do you talk about the value of open data in law? Um, and so I, I, but I said yes anyway. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I like this group of people and I enjoy working with them. And I figured, well, then I'll have to sit down and think about uh, valuing open data and law. And what you're going to see in the next 20 minutes is what I came up with. Um, so uh, law doesn't actually, in and of itself, assist uh, in the exercise of the valuation of open data. Um, it could mandate the valuation of open data for a variety of different purposes. So it's entirely possible that a government could uh, enact a law or a directive or a policy that required uh, valuation to take place or to take place according to certain metrics. So uh, law could certainly do that. Um, for the most part, it doesn't. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about what law does do around open data in a minute. Um, but one of the things that law does do I think, uh, is affect the value of open data or have an impact on the, the value of open data. And so that's um, uh, in large part what I'm going to talk about uh, in this presentation. Um, now, law could require data to be made open. Um, for the most part, it, it doesn't do so in any very specific way. Uh, nor does it do so in the most absolute way. And I think that's interesting in and of itself in terms of the value of open data. Um, so what I mean by you know, law requiring uh, data to be made open might be something like this. And this is one of those, um, I think, few instances where you actually find the requirement uh, in a statute. This is the Public Sector Salary Disclosure Act of Ontario from 1996. Uh, you don't have to struggle to try and read all of that, but it's essentially the piece of legislation that requires the salaries of any public servant in Ontario who makes more than $100,000 a year to be published, okay? And that's why you get the sunshine list. We just had the last round of the sunshine list that came out. Um, and so there's a, a specific statute that is, uh, it exists specifically to require this information to be made open. Uh, it gives very specific parameters as to what has to be made open and what has to be in the record, right? So that there's a list of things that have to be in the record. And so this is a, an example of how law could very specifically require certain types of information uh, to be made open. For the most part, it doesn't do that. 
Um, it, 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 it did so in this case because, of course, this would otherwise be considered private information that couldn't be released, so you would need something very specific from government to say yes, notwithstanding the fact that this would otherwise be uh, unreleasable, undisclosable as, as private information, um, uh, it can uh, still be disclosed. Okay, uh, so that's one example. Um, another example is the open courts principle, which is a principle of common law. It's not a statutory principle, but it is a fundamental principle of common law, and it has been, uh, the courts have described it as, as constitutional in nature, and that's the idea that court proceedings are presumptively open and accessible to the public and the media. Uh, it's described as a hallmark of democratic society, inextricably tied to the freedom of expression. So this is the Supreme Court of Canada talking in, in very you know, strong terms about the open courts principle. And as a result of the open courts principle, court decisions are public uh, in Canada, or presumptively public in Canada, and you in fact need the permission of the court to uh, redact personal information from court decisions. And this is from the AB and Bright Communications uh, case, which was a cyberbullying case, and the, uh, the plaintiff in this case is, uh, has the initials AB and had to fight for the right to be known only as AB or had to, to apply to court for the right to be only known only as AB as opposed to by their full name in the decision because using the initials instead of the full name goes contrary to the open court's principle. So you, only in special exceptional circumstances is the information upheld. So this is another example of where the law mandates that certain types of information uh, be made open, um, and in this case, privacy can be balanced off against it, but you really need compelling circumstances for the courts to either issue a publication ban or uh, permit a plaintiff to be known uh, or defendant to be known only by their initials. Um, and, and, and so that's uh, another uh, example. In both of these cases, though, uh, the public sector uh, salaries disclosure legislation and the uh, open courts principle, the law is, is not specific about how that information should be made open. Um, the, this one is a little bit more uh, specific. Um, it says, well, inspection by the public. I mean, what does that mean? And I think in the old, old days that meant you, you could go down to an office somewhere and look at the paper. Um, without charge, well, 1996, um, without charge a written record, that's not a digital record, that's a written record of the amount of salary. Well, now it's online, and in the last couple of years, they've actually moved to reusable formats. They used to publish it only in PDFs with the idea that that created some kind of privacy protection because a PDF was harder to work with and harder to um, uh, disseminate or do, do use it with other um, mash up with other information, but they're kind of moving away from that now. So it doesn't really specifically say how you make that information available. Same with the open courts principle. And so there have been interesting privacy issues in both cases around um, whether digital dissemination actually creates more of a privacy burden, which might mean that there should be greater limits on the amount of information that's disclosed or the way in which that information is disclosed. So we certainly see uh, legal skirmishes around those uh, points. So uh, in any event, those are a couple of examples of where the law specifically requires some information to be made uh, public, uh, even though it doesn't uh, uh, give us a lot of information about how that should happen and what the parameters of that publication is. 
Um, beyond that, when you talk about open data generally, um, it, it's not like the freedom of information legislation or the access to information legislation at the federal level or in any of the provinces um, requires open data or, or specifically mandates open data. Those laws are silent as to open data. Open data is done in Canada by directives. Um, this is, um, this is a, an order, it's a cabinet order, the reproduction of federal law order, um, which basically says that anyone can make copies of uh, enactments and consolidations of enactments, basically laws. Uh, and decisions of courts and tribunals. So it's kind of an open, you know, it's, a, it's, it's permission to use that material. Um, although you could argue it only gives permission to reproduce and not necessarily to disseminate or to sell or to do other things with it. But in any event, um, this is uh, an example of a, an order or a directive from cabinet. Um, if you look at open data directive on, in Canada, it's a directive on open government. And this is what it tells you, uh, the Treasury Board Canada Secretariat tells us about uh, data. It's to be opened by default and released as open data unless it's subject to valid exceptions. Uh, and this is in a directive. You also have um, uh, a directive at, you know, at the provincial level in Ontario, uh, the open data directive. Again, talking about open by default unless exempted from release in limited and specific circumstances as set out by law. Um, uh, and then it talks a little bit about some of those circumstances. So these are directives, and, and here is uh, City of Toronto, which is even kind of less lower in status than a directive, uh, which talks about the goal for the city, what the city's trying to do. And I guess the point I'm making here is that you have um, uh, directives, which are a form of law, um, issued by these governments, but it's, it's, an, it's a kind of law that's easy to um, reverse direction on. It's not like a statute that has to be amended by the legislature, right? These are directives kept by, uh, in the previous examples of cabinet, of decision of city hall here in the case of Toronto. Um, and so you, those can easily be reversed. You can get a new government that comes in and decides open data is not worth it, and they repeal the, the directive or the cabinet order and they go in a different direction. And so I throw that out in terms of, again, in terms of the value of open data, the way in which open data is done, with, the with, a, with a couple of exceptions, like the ones I've shown you, the open courts principle, very specific public sector salary disclosure legislation, where you actually have laws um, that would have to be changed, amended, um, uh, 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 narrowed by other legislation uh, in order to take back those rights. For the most part, open data is done by uh, virtue of these directives in Canada, which makes it a little bit more of a fragile flower, right? It's easier to reverse direction. So something to think about in terms of the valuation of open data. And there's been a lot of talk at the federal level about whether the access to information legislation should be amended, and it should be amended. And presumably the federal government is going to amend it at some point. Um, one of the things I've heard tossed around, but not in any very serious way, is that, that open data should be part of that uh, new legislation. Um, and I'm not sure if that's going to happen, but that's certainly something to, to watch for, because that's one way of making sure it doesn't disappear tomorrow um, uh, as easily. Um, law can... Um, and I, I think this ties back to the point that Peter was making in his presentation. 
about uh, who uh, controls what data and, and who gets to determine what data is made open. And certainly, um, you have an open your data directive from the city of Toronto. I've shown you the other data directives. None of them touch on police data, right? That's still the police force that's making its decision. Um, and so even with these directives, you don't even necessarily get at all of the government data that's out there. And you don't have anything overarching that says uh, in, in more concrete terms that any department or agency of government must do this. So there's no, uh, there's no overarching law. Okay. Um, law can contribute to the value of open data in other ways as well. Um, so, for example, and we've seen in these um, directives the, the reference to, uh, unless otherwise exempted from release in limited and specific circumstances uh, uh, set out below, and they talk about laws, uh, freedom of information laws, personal information protection legislation. They talk about uh, non-disclosure for legal security, confidentiality, privacy, or commercially sensitive reasons. Uh, the federal uh, open data directive is the same, talking about these exceptions. And so this is another way in which law affects the value of open data. Um, the, uh, in general, data that cannot be released as open data includes um, third-party information. So when the information is not government data, but data that has been submitted to or provided to government by a third party, then it's not subject to open data. Um, and um, uh, we were, uh, Pamela and I were discussing uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, the, the use, the purchase by the city of Ottawa of cycling data from an app company that, that collects cycling data, people who use their, their app when they cycle, that data uh, is collected by that company and then sold to the city um, so that the city can use the data in planning around cycling. Well, that's third-party data that is owned by that company and that the city cannot release as open data. Okay? So there's data that's being used for municipal purposes in planning but cannot be released as open data because it falls under one of those exceptions, it's third-party data. Um, and a lot of the work that I do explores this relationship between government and the private sector and its impact on open data because where you have in the smart cities con uh, context these contracts for data services from the private sector, you can actually get municipal data, things that look like municipal data, becoming private property uh, assets of the private sector companies uh, that can no longer be released as open data. So the law can have an impact there with third party uh, information. Uh, confidential commercial information also can't be released as open data. And in the big data context, I think we're going to increasingly see situations where um, uh, information that is used uh, again, that is developed by private sector companies for cities in the form of analytics is going to, where those companies are going to claim that that's confidential commercial information that uh, cannot be released. Privacy, um, we've already seen uh, issues, I've mentioned privacy as a consideration, um, but governments cannot release unless there's some specific exemption. Uh, in, in general terms, they can't release uh, personal information. And so data sets that contain personal information in general cannot be made available as open data unless that personal information is removed um, or anonymized, redacted, anonymized, uh, whether the, the information might be uh, uh, presented in aggregate form and so on. But when you start to do that to data, you, low, you reduce its value as well, or you reduce its usefulness for certain purposes, which can have an impact on the value of the data being made available as open data. So uh, the, the, the privacy can affect not only what's available, but also the quality 
of what's available. And so that's something to think about uh, in terms of open data. And security is another interesting one. Um, there are, uh, and different municipalities take different views on this, but of course some data about essential infrastructure can be released as open data, but some municipalities are reluctant to release infrastructure data because of what they perceive to be security risks associated with making that information available to the public. Um, and so security can be another one of those concerns, another one of those ex exceptions um, you know, that are there in law that can be asserted uh, as a reason not to release certain types of data or to um, uh, alter or change the data in some way that may affect its quality. And so all of those considerations, I think, can go into thinking about um, the value of open data. Another issue is um, that of uh, determining the conditions under which data is made available. So licensing, open data licensing. And in general terms, we talk about open data and open data licenses. The assumption is it's just out there for free reuse with very few restrictions. And in fact, that is uh, you know, part of the essential definition of open data. The reality of data licensing is more complicated than that. So the license between the government institution body and the uh, user community is a, is a kind of law. It's a private law between those parties. Uh, the, the terms of use set the, the conditions under which that data can be used. And obviously, that can have an impact on the value of the data. Um, and so licensing becomes very important in that context. Um, and, and it becomes important to know what are the terms and conditions. Um, some uh, uh, developers have raised concerns over license interoperability. In other words, that where they want to mash up different data sets from different levels of government or perhaps from different provinces or different municipalities, uh, where each one has slightly different terms of use, you actually can run into a problem where you're not really sure once you put them all together um, what the overall terms of use should be for that, um, that data set or what the restrictions are with respect to that. Uh, data sets. So license terms can affect the interoperability, the legal interoperability of data sets, and that can be an issue. Um, one of the things that I've been uh, looking at in my research as well is uh, the licensing as open data of real-time data, um, and uh, whether the terms of so you have the open data license, and then you have terms of use that are associated with the API that you need to use in order to access that open data and to have that regular access that you need for that real-time data to be useful. Um, and what we found in, in this work is that, in fact, the API terms of use can be quite restrictive um, on, on what can be done uh, with the data or on other aspects of it. And so that creates some interesting situations. This is an example from the United States. Um, uh, this is a developer license agreement. So it's, it, it, it's a shift from open municipal transit data that was static data to real-time data where it was decided that instead of having just the open data license and then the API terms of use, there would be one license agreement that now applies to both static and real-time data. Um, and so here, the agency is reserving the right to alter and or no longer provide the transit data either temporarily or permanently at any time without prior notice. Uh, they're not obligated to make this available, um, and uh, it's totally within their discretion. Now, normally, uh, all open data licenses will contain similar sorts of terms that basically say, you're getting it today, you may not get it tomorrow, and you can't complain about it, basically, right? Um, 
how does that impact the value of open data, that, that impermanence? Now, you can't force a municipality to continue providing data for which it might find a compelling commercial use, a compelling reason not to license, or that it might decide um, you know, is simply too costly to the public purse to continue providing this open data, or they don't have the technological infrastructure to continue to provide real-time data. You can't force them to keep providing uh, data, so you get these clauses, but they do create a certain uh, degree of uh, uncertainty. This is from Vancouver, the Translate API Terms of Use, which says that in the event you are a commercial user and you charge an end user a direct or indirect fee to use the data, Translate reserves the right to impose additional terms and conditions for use of the data, including but not limited uh, to requiring you to pay a fee or other compensation for use of the data. Not really open data, is it? <laughs> it basically says if you're a developer and you decide to charge a direct or indirect fee, maybe you charge a buck ninety-nine for your app. Does it mean you collect personal information from users and then sell that information? And what does that indirect fee mean? Um, in either event, you, they could slap charges on you. It's not really open data. It's, it's data you can use for non-commercial purposes um, only um, if you want to uh, continue using it without paying for it. Um, this is also from the Translink API Terms of Use. Oh, this, is, this is now cropping up all over the place. This is an indemnifiable harmless clause um, where you basically agree not only to pay any damages arising from a suit against Translink from use of its data, but you also are going to pay the legal fees of anyone, um, including Translink, who gets joined uh, in a suit. Um, uh, of any kind or of any nature arising out of or in connection with your use or distribution of the data to any, any end user. Um, well, if that doesn't scare you, then it's probably because you haven't read the terms and conditions um, associated with the API use. I mean, that's a pretty broad clause. Now, there are indemnifying hold harmless clauses, and the city of Ottawa uses one, that focuses specifically only on uses that are not um, that are in breach of the terms of the license. In other words, if you breach the license, the terms and conditions of the license, then you have to indemnify and hold harmless the city. And that's a lot more consistent with open data. This is just says, you know, here's a bunch of people whose legal bills you're going to pay if, if somebody launches even um, a frivolous or vexatious lawsuit against them for, the, for your use of the data. The bus didn't come on time, going to sue the transit authority, and you're going to pay their legal bills. Well, anyway. Um, that could be expensive. Uh, so that's another example. And again, you think about these terms of use and, and the, their overall impact on, um, on the um, uh, value of open data. Um, right, okay, I have another one after that. So um, the other thing, of course, is um, some of these licenses contain limits on the reuse of data. Um, uh, they can be uh, limitations, which are perfectly reasonable limitations in, in, in many ways. Uh, there could be uh, restrictions uh, by law, uh, for example, no defamation, uh, no privacy violation, no security breaches. In other words, you have to use the data for lawful purposes as a term of the license. That's a, a not unreasonable term. It's one you commonly see. Um, but there may also be other terms that restrict how you use the license. Um, so I've just given you kind of a Cook's tour of some of the ways in which law can have an impact on the value of open data, different things to think about, um, and I'm just going to leave it there.
GeoThoughts are brought to you by geothink.ca and generous funding from Canada's Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council.